Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Another Friday, another great podcast for you guys. And this one I'm pretty excited to get out to you guys. I'm sure you've all seen the TV show Bitchin' Rides, and Dave Kindig is our guest tonight. We'll get more into that in a little bit. I want to make sure I remind you guys, time is running out. We're less than 60 days from one crazy weekend. There's over 200 room nights sold. They're adding rooms. If you've tried to get rooms, make sure you go back on add rooms because they added about 15 rooms per day. So you guys have plenty of time, not plenty of time. You guys need to get your rooms booked now before they limit the room block right now. We've got 200 room nights sold. So there's going to be, I mean, listen, it's going to be a rager of a hotel VW weekend. So make sure you guys go to letstalkdubs.com, click on the link that says showtime and go through the link and book your rooms for one crazy weekend. That's October 6th and 7th and register for the show and register for the uh, poker run. So it's going to be a great time. Strip cruise Friday night. So make sure you get there early Friday during the day around eight o'clock at night. We roll out, hit the strip with a big strip cruise, a bunch of Volkswagens. Come back to the hotel, we found a meet and greet and just kind of hang out, register for the show the next day if you haven't registered by that time and uh, just kick it at the hotel with a bunch of VW people. Get up in the morning. We have a car show that goes from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. And after the car show, it's just kind of a kick it and chill, go to the pool, do whatever you want, be back to the parking lot at 5 o'clock because at 5.30 we kick off the world famous poker run. Get your chance to win a piece of $2,000 in cash that we give away, 1200 bucks to first place. 500 bucks to second place and 300 bucks to third place. Who else is letting you win cash money? Nobody, that's who. That's why you come to Let's Talk Dubs One Crazy Weekend Poker Run brought to you by Finley Volkswagen. So I look forward to seeing all you guys there. Remember to support the people that support the podcast. So subscribe today to VW Trends Magazine, a magazine for the people, by the people. Tons of how-tos, unique features, water pumpers, the whole gamut of the VW scene is in there. Again, it's VW Trends. So subscribe today at VWTrendsMagazine.com. That's VWTrendsMagazine.com. Also, give our boys at Ross Wolf some support. Go to their website, pick up some cool stuff for your machine. High-quality aftermarket parts built by VW enthusiasts for VW enthusiasts. So Jason Jared, hard at it, coming up with new unique products for you guys. So they'll be at the show at One Crazy Weekend. And we'll look forward to you guys getting to meet them as well as going to their website, picking up some cool parts at rosswolf.com. That's wolf with a U, rosswolf.com. So get into this week's podcast. Dave Kindig from talking to a couple guys up in Utah. Dave Kindig's been a VW guy since the way back. And I put out a phone call to him. Uh, matter of fact, Greg Stogren hooked me up with him because they were on a uh, they were on a judging panel together in the Northeast. And Greg, being a listener to the podcast, sent me his link and said, dude, hit up Dave. I primed him for you to get him on the podcast. And sure enough, I reached out via email to Dave. He kicked it out and said, let's do it. So we had a couple of days scheduled, locked it up and got this podcast. So it's a great podcast. We ask a lot of questions about his VW hobby, as well as the process of him building a shop, how where, where he started, how he came to where he's at today, and all the things in between. So it's a good podcast, great listen. And listen, man, Dave Kindig, hardcore VW dude to the core, man. All around car guy, but he's a hardcore VW dude from the beginning. Wait to hear what his personal project car is. You guys will be stoked. So I'm excited to bring this one to you guys. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. And don't forget, one crazy weekend, go to letstalkdubs.com. And if you want to support the podcast, go pick up some merch. Or more importantly, give me a five-star review. Go to Apple Podcasts, give me a five-star review. Tell me how much you like the podcast. I appreciate you guys. 
Also, share this podcast with all your friends out there, all your hot rod buddies, whoever you got. Got more hot rodders on the way after this podcast, so plenty of stuff coming up. But for now, let's get into it, guys. This week, Dave Kindig from Kindig Kindig It Designs and Bitchin' Rides on Motor Trend TV on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Okay, everybody, so on today's show, you know that I do my best to scour the globe and bring you some of the the most talented people in the VW world. And one of these guys you know of, but you may or may not know he's a VW guy. And and I'm excited to have him on the podcast today because I've been following his work and watching a lot of stuff he does on TV. So on today's show, you guys are all familiar with our guest. Our guest on today's podcast is Dave Kindig from Salt Lake City with Dave Kindig Design. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm excited to, ch- to chat with you because we're going to talk about some of the VW builds that you've done. We're going to talk about a lot of things with as much time as you're going to permit with us. And sure. the way that we always start the podcast is because I know you're a VW guy and some guys may not know. And, and we talked a little bit about it on Eric, uh, Eric Allred's podcast about how you're a genuine VW guy. You've been in the game for 30 years and, uh, the way we always start the podcast is what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Oh God, I got so many stories. It's a, it's a little crazy to even think about. Um, my VW story, uh, very poor growing up. Um, first, uh, bug that I was actually driving back and forth to work was a, a 61 it was turquoise with uh, gray and black checkered velour, uh, interior from J bugs, I think was way back in the day. Yeah. And I remember driving to work, and I had a warehouse job and boom, brrr, and I was like, wow, what the hell is that? I pulled over to the side of the road. I shot number three uh, spark plug out of the cylinder head. Man, I didn't have enough money for gas to top off the tank in that car at the time. And I think gasoline back then was like probably 76 cents, right, per gallon. So uh, the only thing I could think of doing was to shove the spark plug back into the cylinder head, took my uh, work boot off and shoved it between the side firewall and the spark plug wire and I shoved it in there and I actually drove like that for about two and a half months until I had the $76 to pay uh, 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 Mike, or was it, what was his name? Brown, uh, Char- not Charlie Brown Automotive. Anyway, he, he put a helicoil in, it was, it was under a hundred dollars, but I had to save up for that. So that was kind of a cool story, it was fun. And that's when I really was like, you know, I gotta start figuring out how to actually fix this stuff myself because I could have saved the 76 bucks, right. I, I guess. And now, <laughs> so one of those questions that we, that we have, you know, a, a VW is going to, I call it baptism by fire, right? Like you're gonna buy a Volkswagen. It, usually we buy them because we don't, got, we don't have very much money. And then it, it's our ticket to cool on the cheap. And then they're so basic that we, it kind of empowers us to become resourceful and figure out how to work on these things ourselves, you know? Do you do you think That's that right. owning a Volkswagen was maybe one of the ways that you started getting into this, or were you already into it before the Volkswagens, just in the paint and body? Like, how did how did you end up getting into automotive stuff in general? 
Uh, you know, actually, it was in Volkswagens. I remember just uh, always watching Hoppy W's, VW Trends magazines, and seeing what uh, what the latest greatest was. I was watching watching a lot of stuff that uh, things that stood out to me was there was a, some builders down in Australia to build a, a a Beetle without the B pillar in it. It was really badass. Had some really colorful uh, like surf material interior. You got, of course, you got to remember this is yeah. quite a few years ago. I, think I was sixteen at the time, so I mean do the math real quick. I'm 52 now. So you can only imagine the styles were just fun, you know, the bright colors, all that stuff, but you're right. Fuel, air, spark, um, figure it out. And that's what I would do. Um, but I, I really started in Volkswagen was just really enjoying the low, uh, the style of the car, getting it low, figuring out how to do the body and paint. That's where I kind of started was with Volkswagen's. And of course, you know, trying to keep the car running, that was also started with Volkswagens. And I just kind of grew from there, you know? I mean, I was I was doing what I would call progressive builds on stuff and I was getting better and a little bit more ballsy, I guess. And uh, as I was doing this, I was getting into other cars. I was working at high performance coatings uh, for eight and a half years before I started my business. And I had bought a 91 Oldsmobile Custom Cruiser and that's kind of where I changed a little bit. I always still had one or two Volkswagens in the wings and I kept, building them and driving them and enjoying them. But I started building more uh, V8 style cars and getting a little bit more um, high end, I guess, uh, with the stuff and every build, I would try and push the envelope a little bit more. I'd add to the forte of the people I, I was working with in my shop. Uh, of course, at this point, starting Condigate Design. And, um, you know, just progressively got bigger and better. Every time we'd build a car, we'd learn something. We'd put it to use on the next build and so forth. And fast forward 24 years in business now, and, uh, you know, we're building pretty much every aspect of the vehicle in-house, and we have been done doing that for quite some time. Um, and, uh, and of course, getting opportunities to build some really kick-ass stuff, whether it's a V8 car or a Volkswagen. It doesn't really matter to me. Four wheels and a steering wheel, I think anything has the opportunity to be the coolest thing you'll see. No, I, th- I think that's, you know, that's so right. And, and sometimes one of the things I want to talk to you about is, is your build style is different, right? In the VW world, it's like the punk rock scene. That's not punk enough and that doesn't fit this mold and that doesn't, and, and real like true car customizers, they kind of, and and it's one of the things I've really appreciated about the way that you build stuff, right? Like you do it your way and you're like, hey, not everybody thinks it's cool. I'm not building it for everybody. I'm building it for, for me and for what I see. And, and I respect that a ton because there's so much that's the same in the hobby. How, when you, when, when you started, really delving into doing wild custom stuff. And then you brought some of that over the V the VW world. How was it received with the orange bug? You know, most notably um, as far as first, first exposure, I think in the, in the VW world was it's uh, November, 2004, hot VWs, Utah slam sensation. It's, it's the orange car that you built, which had some super wild custom stuff on it. Um, How did, how did that car get received? How did you, I mean, how have you dealt with the VW world kind of, you know, cause they're kind of fickle about stuff. Right. And how was your experience with right. that, finishing that car? So, so you, you may be thinking that uh, the Volkswagens led me to build the style of V8 stuff. Actually, it's always been an intermingle um, to be honest with you. I don't think that um, my build style, whether it's a Volkswagen or whether it's a V8 hot rod or a truck or anything like that has always been the same thing communication with me and the client um putting out some ideas and uh seeing what sticks to the wall and then we just go that way i stay very true to what i'm building for somebody 
um, again, no matter what kind of car it is. And I think that it's always been that way, even with the Volkswagens. The funny thing is, is when you bring back the flash from the past from 2004, is that that was the style of the cars, that you're trying to push the envelope and build something bigger and badder and lower and more custom than the last car that you built or the last one you've seen. And um, I think I've been very um, true to the fact that I really don't watch other people's trends. Um, I enjoy everybody's car as, as a piece of art uh, and their take on it. Um, some cars I like better than others, but still I appreciate other people's art. Um, I've always explained it this way, Bill. If you walked into an art museum and everything was a Monet, uh, after five or six paintings, you'd just be looking at the same piece of art, different piece of different size of canvas. And so I think that the spice of life is always that uh, taking uh, appreciation with uh, with a grain of salt, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Some some you like better, some you might like less. But taking everybody else's art as as uh, as an, uh, an expression of what their personality is or their client's personality. And uh, so I, I get a kick out of all of them. I never really try to push beyond what everybody else is doing just to be so different that nobody will ever catch up. I really don't look at what the trends are. Um, I just do what I feel is right. No, I think that's that's a testament to a lot of the stuff that you build because I think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of sects in the automotive market that you're not making friends. <laughs> Well, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know what I mean? Like you're built a Corvette, Corvette guys are like, I can't, I can't believe he did that. But it's kind of the, it's the true hot rodder sense, like the full rebellion. And you really don't care what people think. Cause you're doing, you're doing your style. You know what I mean? And which, which I, yep. I give a ton of respect to that because my, my cars are always the ones I've done are a little bit different than the norm. And people are like, Oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. I'm like, Hey, you got your own car. You can do whatever you like, you know, but uh, you know, I, I like to see different stuff because it pushes the hobby, in my opinion. You know, whether it's whether the Corvettes you're doing and some of the VWs that you've built through the shop, which which we'll t- touch on those in a minute. But what I what I'm really interested in, because the VW hobby is so many enthusiasts that end up taking this hobby, turning it into a small business. Whether it's you know the guys from from back in the day, the early drag racers, to Gene Berg, to all the way to Old Speed, and yeah. all these guys, air cooled. I mean, all these guys all start as enthusiasts. What was the recipe on how you built Ken Diggett Designs and, and what were your benchmarks that you remember that really catapulted you? Like, like, like what were some of the shockers in the beginning and then what were some of the big milestones where you're like, man, we're starting to get some traction and make it? Like, wh- what was that experience like? Well, you know, just the struggles of starting a business and especially with no money. Uh, you know, I started my company in, in uh, June of 99 with $4,800 cashed in from my 401k and uh, I started out of my garage. I hired Kev dog. I had a painter and I had uh, Pringle working with me part-time and my buddy Pooh. And uh, we quickly outgrew that uh, uh, the garage moved into the 4,500 square foot uh, section of this building that I own now. And, you know, the struggles were on, but I never, I never really looked back. I never considered anything as a failure. It was a learning curve and uh, always trying to keep that feather tucked, you know, in the hat and don't don't ever forget you know history a lot of people get bored with you know oh gosh did you go to the history class in high school it's like well you didn't even know what the name of the horse was the customer was driving the idea or writing driving <laughs> uh, but the idea was basically what did you learn from what he experienced so that you don't have to learn the same hard things over like has been done in the history that's kind of the idea and so by trying to keep in mind all of the failures and all of the successes that we've had 
uh, kind of already starts to set you in a direction. And now the incline is determined by how, how many of those lessons you remember learning. Um, you know, I, I, I always put the money, I listened to other people that were in businesses, you know, you don't finance your toys. You don't uh, rob Peter to pay Paul. You make sure that if you need a piece of equipment, that's going to make you go faster and more efficient and get a better product than, than, go through the trouble, whether you have the money or not, and figure out how to get that piece of equipment so you can move forward. You know, I remember building our first uh, English wheel. It was a Colville kit, and I still have that here today, and it still works beautifully. Um, you know, so just by, by keeping in mind that you're trying to build, when you're building a business, you're building a machine, and the idea is to make the machine more efficient and run smoother, faster, and be able to produce, obviously, the art. If I figure, I always have figured if I'm producing the art, I'm going to get paid for it. So my focus has never been about the money. Uh, of course, it does cost money to hire good quality guys and buy a nice equipment and, and uh, you know, travel and show off those parts and those pieces that you do. And so, you know, obviously money is a very important part of the business, but it's not the main focus. Uh, there's probably a lot easier ways to make money, to be honest with you. you know, there's no question about that. I mean, anybody that... that... <laughs> There's no one getting rich building Volkswagens. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so. Uh, no, I think you're wrong there, but. <laughs> well, well, it, <laughs> I look out every once in a while. Every once in a while, I look out. <laughs> well, you know, and, and and it's it's all it's all relative, right? So you're sure. in you're in your business. You're you're having your typical ebbs and flows of a business. The TV show. How does the TV show come together? And that's kind of a huge risk, right? Because when, when you're going to do a TV show, everyone's like, you know, like my brother and I went on a reality TV show one time and we went on there. My brother's like, I don't want to do it. I said, look, let's just not be episode one guys, right? Let's not, as a reality show, I'm like, let's not just go out on episode one. And then when you're in the car business, it's like, we're going to be this TV show. Like, no, it doesn't want to be like that. Like everybody envisions like OCC and dad yelling at the sun. It's got to be the drama and all this stuff, which, which your show does not have, you know, your show's really about the build which is really cool. Um, there's always the challenges that, that, are, that are typically in the business. And that's kind of a risk, right? When you run a shop, you're trying to build some credibility. You've had a couple of cars out at this time before the show takes off. I think it was, I think the first car I remember seeing, if I'm not mistaken, was like a, was a fastback uh, 68 or 69, no, 68 or 67 fastback, 22 inch wheels in the back, just a, just a freaking gangster, like a Mustang I had never yep. seen before. It looked like one of those um, muscle machine cars that you see, you know, that like a Jada toy. Yeah. 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 And so, when you're getting ready to start a TV show or, or the opportunity comes up, how does that come together? What's the genesis of the TV show? And then what is the difference once that kind of kicks in and gets some momentum? Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, you know, growing up, I was always kind of a ham, uh, to be honest with you. So it never bothered me being in front of a bunch of people and acting goofy or doing something that I love to do or, you know, um, you know, just being in the public eye. So that never bothered me. And a lot of people actually didn't realize that I had 13 other episodes of my classic car, car crazy, hot rod television, SEMA coverage, and uh, low car TV. So I was a guest on a lot of other TV shows. Um, that Mustang, I think, was in like four different episodes of hot rod television. Uh, Dennis Zerul was the producer, and he just absolutely loved that and loved uh, the charisma of the the, the the guys in the shop and myself and the way that we kind of bounced off of each other and, and uh, did our work and our craft. Um, we had a lot of other show cars actually before we were on television. 
Uh, the Mustang that you're talking about is the white one we called the Boss. It was on 24 by 15s yeah. and just a modifications. It was crazy. That car actually finished in one Utah's finest in 2009. Um, we had uh, we had uh, shot for. Uh, let's see, we started business in 99. Uh, the biggest things that we always wanted to win was the ISCA awards. Uh, they had one in particular was here in Salt Lake called uh, Utah's Finest. Uh, first time we won that was in 2005 with a car that already existed. We went back and perfected the car and built a better uh, display. And it finally had won uh, the Utah's Finest. The next year we won with a 1960 Bel Air called Bella. That was a four-door Bel Air on, a, on a, just a ton of work. Um, and we just continued to win. Uh, we had an involvement, if not the actual full build for Utah's finest for many years after that, um, kind of bummed a lot of people out actually in Utah cause they couldn't, uh, they couldn't beat what we were doing, which, you know, again, I'm not doing it against anybody. I'm doing it for somebody. I'm doing it for my client. I'm going to give them the best product I possibly can with their money. Um, but, uh, you know, the experience as we got the TV show uh, for Bitch and Rides actually was just kind of dumb luck. We uh, had already had a lot of experience on being guests on different TV shows, and we sent out a media blast that we were going to get a, a GM Future Liner to restore here, uh, number three out of the 12 that they had built of the, the Parade of Progress buses, which was just a completely huge project. And really, uh, from the guys that have had uh, the experience of seeing us on Speed Channel and, and TLC in the other TV series, uh, as guests, uh, that was Bob Scanlon and David Lee, uh, which had started uh, the uh, Velocity Channel for Discovery. We put the media blitz across, and we're going to get this GM Futureliner, and they said, okay, we know who this kid is. What the hell business does he have doing a restoration on a multi-million dollar GM Futureliner? And that's when they reached out to us, and they said, hey, would you be interested in having a company called Fisher Productions come down from Park City, take a look at what you're doing, and just do a, like a six, seven-minute long uh, what they call a sizzle reel. And we just want to see if it's something that we would maybe talk about doing a, a full series on it. And I'm like, sure. So they came down, they loved all the mezzanines. They loved the camera angles. They loved the, the group that I had here working and the way that we got along the equipment. Uh, uh, you know, it was kind of history at that point. They said, we love it. We'd like to talk to you about doing a TV series. And, you know, we, we really did measure whether to do it or not, make sure that it doesn't harm my business. Because, again, I quit a job after eight and a half years to start my business. And I didn't want to go back to work for somebody else because I ruined it just because I wanted to be on TV. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it really worked out well. They've been very respectful to not make us throw wrenches and have a bunch of made up bullshit. Uh, we basically we come to work every day to build somebody's dream car. We get along doing it. We leave. We go and do our own thing. We hang out sometimes, uh, you know, on weekends or after work. Uh, we're a very tight uh, group, and, and uh, it's just been a lot of fun. As soon as it's not fun, we won't do it anymore. You know, I think it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because guys, car guys, which I'm a car guy, and when we watch these reality shows, I was just watching a new show that had some guys from an old show that was just on. It was on Netflix, and I'm watching it. And I know the guys on there got some talent stuff, but I'm watching this show. And it's so hard to watch because it's like it, the drama that just there's just all this nonsense that's laid on so thick. And I'm like, you know, it wouldn't be a bad show if it didn't have that. But but we also have to remember as car guys, they don't make the show for the car guys. They make the shows for the general audience. And so some ratings. Yeah. Some yeah. people kind of get yeah. wrapped up in that. And it, it maybe goes to their head or whatever the case is when they end up, you know, getting on TV and, and it kind of goes a, a whole different level. But, you know, once the show was planted and things started to go and you, and you got a little traction. And on a side note, this freaking future liner, I mean, that's 
that's a big steak <laughs> to eat. I mean, that's not that's not a, that's not a my on top of it being a prototype, right? Everything is one of twelve that was on it and never in production. Um, that's that's got to be hugely intimidating to take on a project like that. How are you able to right. get? Because some of the guys in the shop, I'm sure, are going to be like, no, nah, man, that's not what we do. I don't even know where to start. You know what I mean? How do you get the morale of the team behind that thing? And just like, because it's got to, you, you got to you really got to sell it to everybody in the shop, right? So yeah. how, how do you, how do you get the, the stones to push that thing through with your group? So, so there was a lot of drugs and uh, many hours drinking afterward. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. You know, I found, uh, I found uh, one of my old employees. I brought him back uh, and uh, gave him the opportunity to run that program. And I think he did a very good job on that. Um, we hired basically a whole other crew to actually help out on that as well. Um, because the amount of work that was going to go into that uh, was going to be an immense, an immense amount. Uh, for instance, if you remember the Copper Caddy, just imagine about 65 to maybe 7,000 hours to build that. Uh, there was over 37,000 hours on this future liner. So there was anywhere from five to 12 guys working on this thing, anywhere from uh, you know 40 hours to however many hours they wanted overtime. We did that for 19 months to complete this project. And I was really actually quite happy to see it get finished because it, it was quite a feather in the hat. And more importantly, I was really excited to get the damn thing out of here because it took up over five spots. So we needed oh, the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can only uh, I can only imagine. But and that car you built for a private owner, or, or was that for General Motors? As a matter of fact, I actually built it for a gentleman by the name of Rick White that was uh, the president and owner of Fusion IO, which is a big software company here locally. And actually, the first vehicle I built for him was a black and silver. Uh, what was that? A 50, no, sorry, 62, 23-window deluxe, uh, the one with the L-shaped uh, seat, and it had the automated TV that rolled up uh, out of the back of the front seat. Yeah. Uh, Porsche alloys, wheel bumpers. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a big build, and uh, that was basically the Fusion IO bus. Uh, they took that thing everywhere, including Hawaii. Uh, had it on display with their company. It was basically their, their mascot. Um, fast forward, uh, Rick sold Fusion IO to, to uh, SanDisk, and uh, he says, man, that future liner was a lot of fun to build. Uh, let's get rid of it. I said, okay. So I helped him uh, find a new uh, uh, home for it, which it's now in uh, Iowa at uh, Dennis Alba's collection. It's really a nice uh, backdrop. So now once, and, and, and that thing, I mean, that's, like you said, that's a, it's a huge feather in your cap to build that thing. And now you start getting going, right? And, and you've got, uh, obviously with the TV show, it brings, you've got, you already have, because I want to make sure people understand that maybe people that just see the TV show don't understand that you already had an established name in the custom car world. You'd already been established. I mean, like I said, when I saw the Mustang, I'm like, bro, whoever built this Mustang is is insane because just the stance that it looked and that it functioned like that and it was crazy fast. I mean, that thing was. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that car, um, but you can tell by the way something's built if if it's got the look, if it's got, you know, right. like if the guy who's building it knows what cool looks like, like some people just think they could throw wheels on something or some graphics or whatever. And, and, and there's always has to be like a, like a theme in the car um, with, right. with, when money starts flowing from the standpoint of like, you're not chasing or be or scared for customers, which you may have already been at that point. Right. But now the, right. sh the show starts to get your recognition. People start knocking on your door how much more does 
business increase? And then does it allow you the opportunity to kind of pick and choose your clientele versus like, hey man, this guy's a maniac. I mean, he's a rich doctor and he's impossible to work with, but we need the job versus now you're kind of the point like, yeah, you know what? I kind of didn't like your attitude when you came in here, so we don't need your job. I mean, <laughs> right. There's There's gotta be a sense of, of happiness in there that you can kind of pick and choose what you do in the same right. respect, your schedules had to go kind of crazy now, right? I would assume that you're just, I mean, we've, we had to reschedule this a couple of times just because things pop up and I totally get it. Um, how is, how is life now post TV show? And, and what do you, what do you see as the big difference now versus before the show was around? Well, you know, I mean, I think that uh, it's, it's, convoluted to be honest with you because uh as you know since uh, covid and and everything else at the beginning of uh, uh you know 2020 a lot of things have changed not just the age group that are working right now but uh i mean technology is changing so fast uh the customer base is changing very fast as far as me uh finding happiness in what i get to do every day i got to build a car for somebody that really likes cars um, and I can pick and choose. I mean, I have, if you ask, if you call right now, if we actually answered the phone, you'd find out we're probably close to eight years backlogged, uh, well over $58 million in, in, uh, in backlog. And I can pretty much pick and choose whoever I want to build a car for at this point. I don't have to build a car just to keep the shop full. I have another building that's 10,000 square feet, uh, three blocks from here. It's filled with uh, five, three car high bend packs. Um, uh, that are stuffed with cars waiting to get in, two four posts, and then vehicles in front of that on the ground. Um, so, you know, we've got plenty of work to do, and, and that does not include the 30 CF1 Corvettes that I've sold. We're only actually working on number 12 right now. So um, we're married. And those Corvettes, that's like uh, 100% can dig it. Like that's all you. Yep. I mean, and that's, you know, it's interesting because that's kind of funky territory to get into, right? The Corvette world, they're, they're, just, they're sure. just as particular as every other specific, like, especially like the VW people, they're real particular about all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's got to yeah. feel good to you. I mean, you've got a backlog for people that want that car. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're pretty sold and I've got 30 of them uh, sold uh, with deposits. So, you know, as fast as we can move through them and stuff, it's a lot faster to build one of those cars. I can build one of those typically in about a three month period, as opposed to 14, 16 months on some of these bigger builds that we've done, um, which is kind of refreshing to be able to actually have things moving through the shop. That's a little bit more on the production side. Of course, no two are the same color. They're not the exact same. Um, the build aspect overall is generally about, you know, uh, uh, equal as far as the, you know, the, the, the styling and stuff. We are working on a second body style, which has a removable top, uh, it has exterior door handles, roll up windows, slightly different windshield and has windshield wipers. Um, and that one's really, uh, it's starting to really look nice. My goal, uh, don't quote me on this, but all of our friends out there will hopefully be rooting for us. Uh, my goal is to have uh, that one completed uh, and at the SEMA show this year in November. Oh, that's, uh, that's exciting, man. So, I mean, you know, I, I live, yeah. I live here in Vegas and now because I do the podcast, you know, I'm able to get press passes and stuff like that. But back in the day, you know, us car guys, one buddy would get a badge from a friend. We'd go to a copy machine. We'd make 50 copies. There's a bunch of John Smith's <laughs> running around in there with fake SEMA badges. Right. And it, and I try to explain the SEMA show to people because, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all just car guys. And, and, and I have sure. 
a bunch of guys that reach out to me. They're like, man, I just got to go to the SEMA show one time. I'm like, yeah, you have to, you have to go. You have to bring a camera because it's going to be sensory overload. You're going to go, no matter how nice yeah. your car is, you're going to go home and want to put a for sale sign on it because it doesn't have a 42 inch plasma coming up from behind the seat. It doesn't, have, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's insanity. Right. And I'm sure there was a point when you would go there as an enthusiast and check it out. It's just a scrub guy with a block sander in your hand. And you're there like one day I'm going to be here. What's it like in that now that you've kind of, because it's gotta be good, but different to now. Now you can't just go and be Dave cruising around the show, right? Now you're Dave Kindig and everything you say, do or act. Someone's gonna be like, oh yeah, I went to say hi to that guy, man. He's total, you know, total jerk. You know, you know what I mean? And, and people are rushing you through or whatever. What's the experience like now at SEMA? Do you see even less at SEMA now, now because of the TV show and everything you have going on? Like, what, what, how do you contrast the difference between when you're just, when you're one of us and now you're kind of in the limelight with, with the, with, with the shop and all that? Sure. Well, Bill, I'm still one of us. I just, uh, I just can't walk around anymore without getting noticed and, and getting stopped. So to be honest with you, my SEMA, um, is lonely. Uh, I talked to my therapist all the time about it and I promised I wasn't going to cry, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> No, it's just, you know, it's one of those deals where you just, you know, you take the good with the bad. And honestly, um, I always say it's nice to find out you don't suck. And I, and to be honest with you, um, I'm a car guy first and foremost. Uh, TV has been obviously really good to my company and to myself, my family. Um, but that's not, that's not why I got into this. I got into this to build the cars that I dream about uh, myself and, and uh, secretly um, build them with my customers' money, uh, the things that I would like to have for myself. Uh, so I'm very selfish, I guess, in that, in that way. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I'm a car guy through and through. And I think that anybody that it's, has ever met myself or my, my crew or, you know, my family, uh, I think they kind of gather that that's really the, the truth to it. I'm just a car guy, you know, and, and yeah, it'd be cool if I could walk around and not get stopped every, you know, every car and take a picture or sign under the hood or sign something, and, which I don't mind doing. Don't get me wrong. Cause it's like I said, it's, it's flattering. It's, it's great. You know, the people are that enthused about what I get to go to work and do every day for really great people. But at the same time, you know, sometimes it is kind of cool to be able to just walk through the car show and check it out. You know, sometimes I've had uh, opportunities when uh, doing a guest appearance at a car show and signing autographs and, uh, you know, for hours at a time. Um, sometimes I'm lucky enough to, after everybody leaves, I can get in a golf cart, crack open a beer and go around with the host actually enjoy and just check out the car show until like one o'clock in the morning you know that's been multiple times it's been offered to me to do that at, uh, at the SEMA show as well to be able to actually go and walk the floor or roll the floor as it is because they're back in the day that I knew that there was a calculation before uh, the gold lot became another building there was uh, what was it 37 miles of aisle space I mean yeah. there's no way in hell you can four days and now they just doubled it with another 1.2 million square feet so yeah, good luck. Unless you have jetpacks and uh, roller skates, man, you ain't gonna see shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely wild. And touching on that with respect to you being a, you know a guest a guest appearance at a car show and whatnot, and that's how we got connected through Greg Greg Stogren, who was in I think it was uh, it was back east somewhere um, where you guys did a, you were at a, a charity car show and he was on a judging panel with you. And he said, "Hey, you know, you gotta. There's this scrub who's got this Volkswagen podcast in in, uh, <laughs> I was in, like, in, in Volkswagen. Cool. Yeah. So, 
Now, I, I, I heard something that you said, which is kind of like I have a problem, right? I, I don't have enough time to build stuff, but I love stuff. So my car collection keeps getting bigger and bigger and they're all project cars, right? So, but as long right. as they're kind of run or do whatever. And I, and I just caught some when you said that, do you think you get more enjoyment out of creating the car, the build, the thrill of like, can we do it? Can we get this car to look like this? And then it's done and you're like, okay, it's cool. I could drive it a couple of times, but there's nothing left to do. And I've got an itch to do something else. I mean, do you think like really that's what, that's what kind of scratches your itch or, or what? You know, actually, uh, the one that kind of comes to my mind is actually, and I, I really do wish I'd kept it, was the uh, the double cab that we just uh, did about know, three, four years ago. And I sold it at Barrett Jackson. I really kind of wish I'd kept that one because it was uh, it was pretty cool. Four-door airbags. Uh, I think that had a 2276 in it, super street transaxle, uh, disc brakes all the way around. I mean, it was just, it was cool with the rag top and the four windows and, you know, the deluxe style safaris everywhere. And I, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't go so ham on it. That it was so perfect that you should never drive it out of the driveway. You know, it was really, really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish I'd kept that one. But at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I'm in the business of building uh, cars. And if I have too many in my collection, then I, you know, where am I going to put them all? Yeah. So. <laughs> no, well, and so, yeah. And that double cab was one, was one of the junkyard double cabs, which you did a whole podcast on Cecil's find of the junkyard double cabs. Again, yeah. it's another thing that brought up your name. And I'm like, you know, because with this podcast, as, as odd as it sounds, it's like, I want genuine VW people on here. It's, it's not about the celebrity. It's about, hey, this guy's one of us. Steve Strope, I, I heard him on another podcast. He's one of my favorite builders. And he's just like, I hear him talking about a Carmen Gee he had, so I'm like, perfect. There's my excuse to get him on the podcast and introduce some of the VW world to a guy who built some wild, some wild custom cars. And so mm -hmm. I, I really, um, I think that's one of the one of the reasons why I was excited to get you on here. And, and I wanted to talk about a couple of Volkswagens that you built. So there was the two. Yeah. The, there was the two that probably in the VW world created the most buzz, right? The the. <laughs> the 23 window bus and the Heb Mueller. And you know, there was a lot of back and forth on it. And um, you know, with the Heb Mueller specifically, right? There was a ton of work to go into that car and everybody, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's sacrilegious. Like, no, there's a hundred more. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, my impression on the car and because I ended up buying, um, I've been on this weird thing lately where I bought a couple show cars from the eighties and the, and the, and the, one of them that I picked up is a, is a pink notchback out of Bakersfield that has a full auto trans in it. After I drove that car and then you built the Heb that you put the automatic in, I said, you guys have never driven an automatic. I'm like, if you're going to take a car and go cruising, there's, <laughs> there's nothing better than an automatic with building yeah. those, with building those cars and being a VW guy, what, what was your, was there part of you like I got to keep it true because when Foose built the bus right there was all kinds of like VW like oh no man I can't believe he did that and I loved it and one of the reasons why I loved it is because it said Foose like not literally but like it's his style and I respect yep. people's style you know what I mean and that's really right. you know 
Could I look at those cars and say, I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, I wasn't building it. So I would have built it completely different. But when you see those two cars that you built, the bus and the bug, they for sure say, can dig it style. Like they're they're built with that style. Was there anything you're worried about during building those cars or anything or, or is your attitude just like, look, I'm building them how I want to build them. And you know, what's your, what's your thought process on that? Especially with like a head Mueller. Well, so, you know, obviously uh, green money was the double cat or the, uh, the 23 window uh, barn door deluxe. And of course the head Mueller one of 669. I mean, there wasn't a lot of them out there. Here's where I'm at with that. If you've ever watched the way that I build a car and or that I design it and the, the styling that we do, we want to build something that still is going to be classic. It's going to be in style still, you know, as far as what you're visually looking at. But we want to more importantly make it fun to drive because that's a lot of money to spend on a, a lawn jockey uh, yeah. is the way I always describe it. The customer had a thing with auto stick. She goes, you know, it's an auto stick, but it's not really an automatic. Is there any way? I mean, they're spending a ton of money on these two vehicles to have them built. And, and uh, I said, well, yeah, I think we can totally do something like that. And I called my friends out at uh, uh, Transaxle Engineering out there in Southern California, and they put together the Vanagon uh, Transaxles that they built for high horsepower sand cars that are automatic. And, you know, the way I look at it is I didn't really ruin the car. I mean, really, within, within a very small amount of work, I could put the stock pan, which is restored, by the way, uh, back under the car. So uh, the car's not ruined. There's a small section under the back seat area uh, that has a little bit more room for the nose cone on the automatic. Aside from that, the original pan, the original brakes, wheels, all that stuff is literally sitting there with the wrong engine. It never had the original motor when I bought it. Um, and it's actually, uh, it's close, but no cigar. Uh, it's a couple of years newer than what's supposed to be in it. So really I didn't ruin anything. I didn't put it back to the original color because I didn't really care. Um, uh, that much about restoring the car. I cared about trying to retain the originality of the car in a sense, but also have it as something that somebody could get in and really enjoy driving that. Um, and same with the bus. I mean, the, the build ticket was kind of the same thing on the bus. Build something that you can get in. It's got a low car shifter. It looks just like the original. You pop the button, you pull it down into drive and take off, turn on your, your iPhone and, uh, and play your tunes over the Bluetooth audio from Kicker and just Go enjoy the hell out of it. It's 176 horsepower, which is a lot more fun to drive than a 36 <laughs> or a 48 or whatever the hell it came with originally. And, um, you know, life is short, man. So I understand preserving stuff. Green money had already been cut, and the originality of that vehicle had already been lost. Um, putting it in, the, in a junkyard or in a backyard somewhere and letting it rot filled with beer cans or filled with leaves and just rotting away and in some – lonely little town off of the beaten path that would be a shame wouldn't it yeah no i i agree 100 percent. and by no means you know like i said i i kind of came to your defense when people started crabbing about the automatic i said you're just saying that because you've never driven an automatic well let me see right. you in in uh, on a hot summer night cruising up and down the vegas boulevard and on the strip trying to listen to some tunes and look cool and your your left calf is pulsating because you're holding the clutch in, you know so right. I, I, right. I i totally uh i totally respected both those builds i saw them both here at the sema show fantastic quality of work because you know they have a whole uh facebook page called sema builds and it's like all the big lifted bro dozers with like the zip ties underneath them and all and so it's just like this thing and so it's funny because once you're on this proverbial pedestal people all they're looking for is faults you know what i mean 
And when I look at the exact same with an ISCA judge, when you build that series of a vehicle, they're not looking for what's right. They're trying to find something wrong with it because you're up against other quality builders, which also uh, are known for building great things. And so you're not trying to find what's right or wrong or an opinion of what, what vehicle style wise you like better. It's literally being judged for the quality of the build. And when it's that high of a quality, that's going to be very hard to find something wrong with it. You keep looking. And I think the same way as for people, it's, it will always be, and I don't mean this in, in any inappropriate way in life, whether it's cars, whether it's homes, whether it's whatever, it's always going to be the haves versus the have nots. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. I live it. Um, and I just deal with it because to be honest with you, um, I came from nothing. I worked very hard and I got to where I'm at and, and I'm very proud of that. And it didn't, it wasn't just me that got me here. It was the drive and the willingness and the love for the sport and the love for the people I get to do it for and do it with. And um, I never looked back. If I worried about what everybody thought of, oh, geez, you know, he's charging too much money, this and that and the other. It's like, well, I'm just, it's just a business, yeah. you know? And uh, like I say, whether whether somebody actually is, truthfully thinks that they're right by, by knocking somebody down for, for moving ahead in life, it's, it, it, you know, life is what you make of it. So, if, it, if you're trying to improve your life by knocking everybody else down, that's a very lonely road that you're on. Um, my, my suggestion for everybody is to set your goals high and go, go and try and find the, the level of those goals. If you land just below them, not so bad. Just keep trying. Yeah. You know, um, that's that talk. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, can, I can tell you this, that Eric said, you know, when I talked to him, he said, look, Ken is a self-made dude. He had no hand-me-downs. He had no anything. He said he quit his job and put it all on the line to start his shop, which is, we know, not, especially in the Autobot, in the paint paint body and auto restoration, most of those shops don't last very long. Like they either, it, it, we see them all the time, they're like boomer bust, right? Like when they started building that Eleanor, right? Like that guy just embezzled like 30 million bucks from people and then shut down. And then, you know, but there's all kinds of different ways that it happens and it's hard to stay successful. Now that you guys, have attained an eight-year backlog and all that stuff, and you're working for a clientele that appreciate that that understands there's a cost to build something to that quality. Do you believe that there is a if you look at a car and say it costs a hundred grand to build that car, that there should be a level of quality in that car that could tell you it costs a hundred grand to build it? You know, I actually uh, would say yes. And the reason I say that is, is as a fan of other TV shows before I ever had mine, um, if you had the opportunity to see what was on TV and, you know, the lights and the glamour and all that stuff when they're building the car and it looks so cool when it's finished. If you've ever gotten an opportunity to see a lot of those cars, not all of them, but uh, a good portion of those cars that were ever built on television, they were pieces of shit when you got to finally actually see them in real life because it is very difficult to put something together in, in a week or three or six weeks or whatever some of these other shows were. And it's not, I'm not talking bad about any of those shows, but the reality is, is that, you know, you have to go back and fix the stuff because it does take time to do it right. You know, I've looked at uh, vehicles with, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the rain gutters with the, the sealant tape in them and stuff, and they're all wrinkled and you know, paint over the top of fingerprints. You can see pushed into it and it's, it's like, well, you know, somebody is eventually going to see your work and this was supposed to speak well for you. Yeah. I've always loved it when somebody goes, man, that was just a ton of work you guys seemingly put into that car. How long did it take to build? And I'm always like, well, minus the V story, it took 44 minutes. 
<laughs> without right. commercials. <laughs> right. But, but the reality is, is yeah, we got 12, 14, 16 months in some of these cars. And it's like, you know, you get a chance to see one of our cars in real life. You see them built on television. Um, you, you come back three or four times and see more details and more things that have been done. And these are usually competing for top price. You know, we, we build a legitimate car and I won't, I won't rush it for sake of television. You know, we, we're going to do the car right because I'm spending my clients money and I'm trying to give them their money's worth. And, and of course, you know, we take a lot of pride in what we're doing and that's why we, we have such a backlog. That's why we have a lot of people that appreciate our work is because we take the time to do it right. No, there, there is that, that aspect to it, right? When a shop gets on TV, all of a sudden they're like the it shop to somebody somewhere else in a small town somewhere and they've saved up their life savings. They're going to restore this car, do whatever. And then they get it back and, and they spent big money shop and got small money, small, small shop, you know, right. small money shop job. And it's, it's kind of a bummer because it's one of those things where, you know, you feel bad because someone's just a car guy and they're like finally realizing their dream with, with the, in the world where you're at now, do you have time to build a car for yourself or you guys are so backed like you'd have to farm it out to somebody? <laughs> finally, I'm building one for myself and one for my wife, actually. Um, if you remember a couple of seasons back, uh, Charity and I and the, and the gang were out at uh, Columbus, Ohio, good guys. Mm -hmm. And we happened across the back parking lot. There was a 67 black two-door Chevelle sitting on the trailer. The guy needed to put a starter in. He was going to put it in before he left. The starter got there the day he was leaving from Pennsylvania and gets to the car show. And, of course, the car won't start, so he just leaves it on the trailer. Well, there's like 13, 14 people sitting in this back parking lot having a barbecue, drinking beer right next to the flatbed with the trailer with one of the cars on it. And uh, Kevin and I were riding those stupid electric scooters downtown. Yeah. <laughs> on a bed. <laughs> and we made the wrong turn. So we went past all these guys. They're trying to wave us down and stop us because they were fans of the show. And we found out we couldn't get any further out of this parking lot. So we had to go back by them. And I said, that's okay. I said, let's stop. We'll have a beer with these guys. Say hi. And uh, I want to look at that Chevelle. And Kevin, of course, knows the story behind my wife Chevelle. At that time, it was 28 years. It was actually on our anniversary our wedding anniversary for 28 years. And uh, we had met two years to the, almost to the day, one day off uh, earlier and about a year into uh, living together and whatever, her parents took the car away. And then I ended up selling it as soon as we got it back. Cause I couldn't afford to put gas in the car. We were sweating $235 a month for an apartment payment. So fast forward, looking back, I seen uh, the value of that car. The fact that her and her dad had built the car when she was in high school and it was uh you know, it was her high school uh, chick magnet or chick car. I call it a chick magnet. But anyway, um, I decided to buy that car for her for her anniversary. And we're finally, uh, uh, three years later, it's uh, going on its uh, uh, final process of reassembly. It's on a Roadster Shop chassis. It's got an 820 horsepower LT4 Z06 motor, uh, new air conditioning, Dakota digital gauges, some badass wheels, red lines. I mean, it's just, it's going to be cool. And she literally is going to park her other car and only drive it when it's snowing outside. So, uh, and then for myself, I pulled the trigger on a, a 63 Beetle convertible and, oh, wow. um, you know, just doing it up. So it's uh little Pete over at air cooled. has got some, uh, some, uh, kick-ass narrowed front beam action going for me. And I got the super street transaxle, Willwood brakes all the way around, uh, did the small Porsche uh, lug pattern. Uh, Eric's finishing up a, another 2276 with dual 48s. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's going to scoot. I didn't do an automatic in this one because 
I just want to get in and drive and enjoy it uh, without the added. <laughs> There's a lot of work yeah. to make those automatics work. They do work. They do work well. Well, but that, I just that, want to mind. I like to mash the gears. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, next time you do an automatic, think Type Four, the big block VW motor. Listen, those are those are uh, always good. But I also love Subi conversions too. I think Subi conversions are. Um, really? in the, in Coming the, from the Volkswagen guy, I find that very surprising, Bill. Well, my my philosophy on a Subi conversion would be in a Type 3 where no one really looks at the motor, but I would love nothing more than a nice square back with air conditioning, driving it around in the hot heat in yep. Vegas with the windows up and having people try to figure out, did they just see, you know. How's that guy not dead? Yeah, how's that guy not dying? <laughs> But I, I, I definitely, I, I love the technology that's out today. Um, and speaking of like protecting cars, to let you know where I am, I've got a 51 split window that's shaved, monochromatic, and it's it's almost out of the shop, hopefully sometime soon. But it's four coil suspension. I did coil over suspension, Berg five speed, big type four. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I love, what I love is a Volkswagen being built to everybody's taste. That's my favorite thing. It's like a blank slate for any person that's on it. And what I think, and since you've got the ear of the TV show guys, what I think would want to be, would be one of the coolest build offs would be to take an unassuming beetle, give it to five different shops and have them do a build off on a beetle. I mean, in my opinion, because I always go back to Volkswagens are as American as apple pie guys in our generation. They were, if you couldn't afford a mini truck, you bought a Volkswagen. You know what I mean? Everybody's got a Volkswagen story. Whether you owned one or not, everybody's got a story about a Volkswagen. Yeah, so I think, in my personal opinion, that would be that would be so cool to give everybody the same platform and have them do a build-off on a Volkswagen and just do their style with it. And I just think that would be such a cool premise for if they were to do a, a quote-unquote build-off. It isn't the traditional muscle American machine or another, another Camaro. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I think yeah. it's uh, yeah. it's great. Now, with the, with the evolution of the shop and how busy you've gotten, and now you've kind of got the ear of a lot of people. Are you able to take some of your ideas and put them into fruition with some of these shops? Like, I know you made your door handles that you did. Are there mm-hmm. other things that you're working on that because of, because of your ability to have access to people, you cannot take some of these ideas and put them into fruition? And is there anything like that coming up new that you're going to be... That, that you're working on sure actually so um we've been so busy right now just uh we've got some really big projects that we're working on that are uh, going to come out next year and uh some of which are secret um i have a lot of products in mind uh and to be honest with you i think there was an article jesse greening from greening auto company back east is just a he's a wonderful guy and a great friend and a very knowledgeable business guy and um you know, he was, he was doing an article uh, with, uh, basically, he says, you know, I'd really like to build more products and less cars. Now, I don't think I would necessarily do that myself, but more products. Uh, you know, I've got the door handles. I've got uh, the Bronco, the first-generation Bronco fender flares that I build, uh, first-gen Camaro wings the, out of carbon fiber. Um, I've got uh, uh, side mirrors that I'm going to start building, uh, the big uh, uh, first quarter or second quarter of uh, 24. Um, I've got a lot of different designs, a lot of different ideas of products that people can use on their own pro- on their own projects. Um, and that's really been uh, something great about my patented door handles is they're all over the place, whether it's trucks, vans, cars, street rods. I mean, it doesn't matter. And tailgates. I mean, I've had guys use them 
for all sorts of stuff. And they're just, they're wonderful parts. And uh, they, they really make the, the, the car unique in, in, a, in a way that it's still usable, but you know, if you want it shaved, you put the door handles on the outside and, and, uh, and uh, paint them and they just kind of go away, but they're there, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll definitely keep uh, adding to the forte. I mean, I've got a lot of other things and, you know, of course the CF1, I've always been, a lot of people don't know this, but I've always been a big fan of exotic cars as well. Um, I'm a car guy. I love muscle cars. I love Volkswagens, obviously trucks. Um, but I've, I'm secretly, I'm a, I'm a closet, uh, closet supercar guy. Yeah. So say that the, the CF1 Corvettes, uh, that program is basically uh, a gateway drug for me. Uh, to be honest with you, I want to build me a, a big badass supercar and, and build more than one of them. So that's, that's something we might see in the next uh, 10 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, you're in a position now where you can kind of, you can pick a lane and kind of head down that direction and, and even kind of diversify what you're doing. Um, yep. How, I mean, you've got an eight year backlog, so you're in business for the next eight years, no matter what. Right. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> notwithstanding the economy and that kind of stuff, how do you see the automotive industry currently as a still a theoretical small business owner? Cause as big as you are, you're still a small business and you can, the economy can change in a heartbeat and, and be devastating for a lot of people. How do you see sure. the industry from finding good quality techs to getting anybody that knows what they're doing? I mean, how, how have you, dealt with that and then like what's the average age of the people on your floor so i mean that's a constant changing thing i'm sure for not just my company but for everybody's company um you know the the future i guess is really uh, unknown and uh to be honest with you i mean i'm trying to stay on the on the front of the curve uh my my cf1 is called the ecf1 it's a prototype all electric I worked with uh, Hypercraft here in uh, Provo, Utah. Uh, that car is uh, 2,375 pounds. It has 580 horsepower. It's 3,650 foot-pounds of torque. It's uh, 800 volt, 60 kilowatt with two 301 um, uh, five powers from uh, from Switzerland. And that's the motors manufactured, and those are actually the Formula E motors. Wow. Um, the uh, gearbox is a 5.1 to one gearbox, all billet. And uh, it's got two Cascadia controllers. Um, you know, we're working with a lot of uh, new technology from AIM. Of course, uh, uh, Hypercraft is growing so fast, and that company is actually now doing upgrades to the battery pack and the harness right now to make the, uh, the power last longer than the 200 estimated uh, miles, which I'm excited about. Um, the car is fantastic. You'll actually get to see that. Don't tell anybody I told you this, but you'll actually get to see that on season 10. Uh, I drove that car at Radford racing school, uh, uh, in the beginning of, uh, uh, March. And, uh, as fast as I wanted to go on the track, I've been race car trained as fast as I wanted to go on that track. I was only running three quarter track. Uh, the, uh, the programmer, uh, Jake was in the passenger seat. I don't know how he didn't throw up cause he literally never looked up. He's just putting in input. Right. I'm just hauling around this track and it was very impressive and i was only running that car at 38 percent. wow That's <laughs> so nuts. the car is going to be absolute nuts and uh so i'm excited for that stuff you know i'm a gasoline guy still but i don't want to be the last hot rod shop to, to play around with the, some high torque uh electric and uh, it is totally a different experience but it is a very fun experience so um 
Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll be something to smoke clad. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that, <laughs> which is ridiculous. It's, it's kind of the way some of the things are going. And we did a podcast with Michael Bream from EV West, who's got a bunch of EV conversions. Yeah, he does he's on, awesome. He does on Volkswagens. Now, as, as far as like the labor pool to pick from, how's that been with the ever growing business? I mean, it's, it's, it's got, it's tough for me in my industry that I'm in to just find people. The average age of my guys just keeps moving up because it seems like there's no young kids getting into it. Is there anything you're doing different for, for trying to pipeline in new guys, younger blood and stuff like that? Yeah, so actually we work with uh, uh, with Lincoln Technical Institute, uh, which has got 22 campuses around the country. Primarily, we actually uh, focused with Denver. We actually created a 10,000 square foot Kindig Academy. Uh, and uh, we have uh, different courses for metal shaping, welding, uh, electronics, body and paint. Um, and basically just trying to keep the the abilities of the next generations to continue to increase. And so, you know, basically we were vetting of uh, the students to kind of just see, make sure that they have at least common knowledge of, of the, of the art, I guess is the best way to describe it. And then give us the opportunity to amplify those skills. So we've worked really, really well with those guys and uh, hoping to create more talent because, you know, uh, I think around the time that you and I were probably in high school, a lot of people were being pushed to go to college, get white collar jobs, you know, be a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or whatever. And, uh, and it seems like a lot of the trade schools and a lot of trade um, classes in high schools and in junior highs for that matter, had pretty much been pushed away. Like nobody's interested in doing this. I have a prediction in the next 10 years, guys that actually can, guys and gals rather, that can actually work with their hands will likely be higher paid than the white collar people because they actually learned a skill that most people don't do anymore. So it's very hard to find those people. You know, it's kind of like a brain surgeon. You can find surgeons that can put a finger back on maybe if they're really good, but you're not going to let them in your head to do brain surgery, right? Right. You have to be like passionate about it and they're going to be paid higher because they're much uh, better at what they do, hopefully. And so the way I look at it is, is kind of that same thing. I think that, uh, you know, uh, when everybody is now doing the same thing, the people that are doing the same thing are going to be higher paid because they're a rarity and yeah. they're something that's very needed. We have to have those people with those skilled labors uh, or, you know, the robots that are hoping to take over one day aren't going to be bolted down to the floor. Right? They need to start working on that uh, AI pretty quick to get them to figure out how to, f- how to <laughs> flatten out the, the long side of a f- of Galaxy 500. Well, you know, right. so, no, I just keep seeing all of the movies from the eighties coming back to haunt us now in the, in the, in the twenties. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's crazy. It, it is. It is. They're just regurgitating everything that's out there now. Uh, so if you're to build a walk, well, I mean, it, it's a tough question because you kind of already answered that, right? Let's be honest. You have the ability to kind of buy any car that you want and build it mm-hmm. and you chose a 63 convertible beetle. So, I mean, I think that's super cool. It's another testament to like a guy can get in anything and it's fun and it's great to drive something. And I, I've owned a Porsche and I've owned some things like that. And it's like driving a Porsche, every guy in a C3, a 300 C is trying to race you. And then driving your Volkswagen, you just don't even break eye contact with the guy next to you as you're surprising him crossing the intersection. It's just a different dynamic. (laughs) And, And I think, And I think with the VW guy, it's always like the underdog mentality. Like, I want you to count me out, but I'm going to surprise you, you know? And so for you, 
to build your ultimate VW, is there any VW that you'd love to have that you just haven't come across yet that would be like, ah, oh, that's what I want? So I actually already have that car. Uh, it's sitting in the very top of my other building on the third floor of the lift. Uh, it is a, you ready? Yeah. Let's see if we can, everybody can track. It is a Hebmuller three-window suicide coupe, opera coupe. Sorry, opera coupe. So it's, <laughs> it's the craziest thing. It's got a 68 body with suicide doors. Uh, I took the uh, B pillar out. I moved the C pillar forward to where it has a small uh, amount of glass. Um, no, no pillar over the door. Has a laid back windshield. It's chopped about four and a half inches. It's got a 60 hood on it. It's got a 74 Super Beetle front end grafted into the back end of the car. It's got three by three off-road racing uh, trailing arms with uh, Porsche axles. It does not have a motor in it yet. I used uh, the um, Speedway uh, forward-moving uh, drop axle from the 32 Ford, oh, wow. uh, kind of like the rat rod bus have. Uh, put the, uh, the wheel and nine inches forward. I used a left and right fender from a 1944 for each front fender, so it almost looks like a Delahaye. I capped it off with a Mini Cooper headlight, so basically the fenders stick out further than the hood does. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, the rendering's been done for well over 15 years, maybe close to 20 years. I've been working. The last time I touched the car was got to be 14 years ago, yeah. maybe 15 years ago. Well, so you have to that send car's me still sitting there. A, a picture of the rendering. I'd like to get a picture of that rendering. <laughs> that sounds rad. Yeah, but, yeah, Where's the, well, I'll send it over to you. Yeah, I got a, I got a copy of the render. I didn't want to share it with anybody because uh, I don't want anybody knocking it off and, and doing it before I do it, but I'm not sure I'll ever get to it. No. <laughs> I, I keep buying stuff. I, I, I got a, I got a lot of stuff sitting over the other building. I, you know, now but, do, you, uh, <laughs> do you still have that? Do you still have that where you drive around and you're like, you're in some offshoot neighborhood in the middle of nowhere, Utah, and you're just kind of cruising, looking in yards and stuff like, Oh, I wonder what's back there. I mean, do you still have that inside of you or are you card out? I mean, are you still has the business not beaten um, the car guy out of you? No, the car guy's still there, but the, but the business sense and the, um, the smart guy is now there and going, yeah, you'll never have time to mess with it. It'd be easier just to find one that's already done. Yeah, and I, the, it's funny. So. The, you know, the <laughs> the older I've gotten, the more I keep thinking because I'm still that broke kid that grew up back in the day, and I think I'm gonna oh, like I just I just bought a, a '92 Blazer for fifteen hundred bucks, and it's just like, what am I right. doing with? You know what I mean? Like, and it does it does. The smart move is to buy them done because you get a huge discount and you get to enjoy yeah. it today. You know. Yep. And so, you know, I think that's one of those things, but you know, not everybody's there, but I, I find it always interesting that no matter where you're at in the car world, you hear about all this old cars and you're like, what, where? I, I don't really need it, but it's just, it's kind of the thrill of the hunt type thing. So what, so with where right. you're at. You know, and I still, I still do get a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's always, it's always the exciting thing. Now, now when you, um, you're, so you're planning to debut a couple cars at SEMA this year. Where are you going to be at in, in SEMA as well? Ken Diggett had last time you had your huge semi trailer out there and all that stuff in the front lot. Mm -hmm. Is that where you're going to be again this year? Yeah. So we'll have a, we'll have our 18 wheeler out in the front, uh, with, uh, two cars, maybe three out in the front. 
Uh, we'll have a vehicle in Borla's booth inside, as well as in uh, Axel Nobel's booth, and also Dynamat's booth. Am I missing anything? I think that's it. As if that's not enough. There's probably <laughs> I'll have about uh, I'll have about seven cars there. Uh, I, th- I think is what, uh, and I try not to take the same car uh, multiple times. I try and uh, never take the same car actually to SEMA. Uh, I did take my dad's Corvette, I think, there twice. Um, one was in Lingenfelter's booth, but it debuted in Borla's booth, which was just wonderful. Um, you know, of course, all of those booths are, are awesome. They're great sponsors and great uh, partners in the business. So, Now, yeah. now I know you got to go and you're probably rushed for time, and I, I really appreciate you taking me, letting me soak up an hour of your time as a non-paying customer. <laughs> Because my brother's got a shop. An hour? Ready for him? And, oh, and, <laughs> I, and I know how valuable that is, but this, this is this is valuable to so many people that listen to the podcast. Do you ever walk out in your shop and just kind of look around and kind of try to take it all in? Is it a little surreal? At although your overnight success has been, you know, twenty years in the making or fifteen years in the making, do you ever go out there and just think to yourself, like, feel really accomplished that you know through hard work? luck and the stars aligning and mostly hard work and add in some more hard work that things have kind of come to the point where you know you're you're able to enjoy it and not freak out about the tax bills due and this is due and you know all these things do you do you ever just kind of stand back and have to pinch yourself you know so i always dreamed uh big and i always figured if you dream big and you land just blow not so bad uh as i mentioned earlier and i remember being in the one suite which was 4500 square feet uh, door, uh down to the uh, west side of my other build of uh, this building and i remember looking out the front of the building and there was one suite to my left and four more to my right and i'm like man twenty-seven thousand square feet how would that be to have a hot rod and i stopped myself right there i was like there's no way in hell that it ever happened i mean how could i possibly get so big to need this whole building um that happened and i bought the building in 15 and uh, three years later, I was like, I need another building. I bought, <laughs> I bought another one three blocks from here just to keep some of the stuff out of the way. So we had more room for uh, equipment and more projects to work on. And so I think that this, the part that's surreal is that we still have a following uh, to this day of people that are excited about what it is that we're doing and then giving us the opportunities to build their cars and to build their dream. Um, I think that that's part that's more surreal. The success uh, comes with that, but my focus has always been, again, on the client, on the car, on the project, and the opportunities that we have to create something that hasn't been created before and and hopefully will be sought after and and looked after uh, for many decades uh, from here on out. So, you know, we, uh, we just enjoy so much what we get to do for a living. I think that that really is the takeaway from... Uh, anybody that gets to know me knows that I'm all about the cars. I, I don't, I don't have to have the pat on the back. I don't have to have, um, you know, all of the notoriety. I'm a car guy. Um, I'm excited about this summer to go to the, uh, uh, the triple crown, which is going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Bobby Alloway's putting that on this year. Um, and, uh, I'm so excited mostly to go out there and compete and more importantly, just to hang out with my friends, you know, the guys at the roads shop, Fritz Panier, um, Chip Foose will be there, a uh, great friend as well. And, you know, the who's who of hot rodding is going to be at that event this year. And I think it's going to be so much fun that, uh, you know, we're going to sit around and have beers and 
and talk shop and just, you know, we all have so much in common. And of course the people that are going to see the show, um, it's all, it's only on a Friday and Saturday. It's going to be huge. And, uh, I'm very excited for everybody to see like the ultimate, uh, outdoor car show. This is going to be really over the top. So, and, and when and mostly, you know, drinking beer, I yeah, just like it. And so. when is that show? <laughs> when is that show? Uh, that is on September 8th and 9th. Yeah. In Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. Well, any other places yeah. where, where people, you, this is your time to plug wherever you're going to be in the upcoming future where people can stop by, see you and support you, say hi, or even swing by the shop oh, whenever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we do our uh, uh, tours. If you get online, go to uh, kindigit.com, schedule a tour. It's on Fridays. My cousin Brad will take you through the whole shop. The showroom's open Monday through Friday. As far as me, man, I'm all over the place, man. In fact, this year is going to be quite a bit different from in any other year. I'll be in Cascavel, uh, Parada, Brazil. Uh, I think I pronounced Parada, right? Yeah. Uh, and then also we'll be in uh, uh, Australia for the Adelaide uh, 500. It's a supercar race, and that's in November. Um, of course, we'll be at the SEMA show. And then I'm on vacation, man. I don't, I don't know where the hell I'm going, but I'm going somewhere fun. And I'm going to put on a big sombrero, big round glasses, a scarf over my face. You're going to think I'm Elton John before you think I'm Dave Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find a, a, a nice sandy beach and, and drink a margarita and cry for 20 minutes. I'll be fine. Well, I tell you, Dave, yeah. now, now that you're one of us VW guys and you've infiltrated the ranks of the who's who of car builders, I definitely, as you're out there and you run across other hot rod builders, I know Squeege in Arizona started with a Volkswagen. There's a lot of guys out there that have some VW story, and I'd love to spark conversation with those guys off there. So you're my infiltrator in that field because you're still a VW guy, and we're not letting you go from that. So I, de I definitely I appreciate you taking the time for us to come on the podcast. And I can't, I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, I, I can send you a free t-shirt, which I'm sure you got enough t-shirts, but I'm going to send you one anyway. But, uh, I, I, Hey, thanks so no, much it, for coming on and anything else that you want to tell the listeners before we wrap it up, anything you think we didn't cover? No, I mean, actually, if you get on my website, uh, again, you'll see, uh, the schedule of all of the events that I'm going to go to. That's probably the easiest place to find me. If you're wanting to come over and say hi, whatever, come to Salt Lake or else find out where we're going to be on the road. And I'd uh, love to meet you, Bill. I really appreciate it. Cause you know, Volkswagen guys aren't just Volkswagen guys. They're yeah. car guys too. You know, hundred <laughs> <So, laughs> percent. Well, for sure. Well, I really enjoyed it. And I would look forward to doing it again with you. This has been a lot of fun. Though. I really appreciate you. Hey, and the next time you got any VW specific stuff coming up on the TV show, call me. Let's talk about, it. let's get the let's talk dubs listeners, a little preview of what they're going to see on Motor Trend TV on Bitch and Rides. That sounds great, buddy. Hey, brother, have a great one. I appreciate you. Thank you. You too. Take good care. All right. Thanks. Well, if you like that podcast, and I know you did, make sure you share it with all your friends. I love when you share the podcast, and that's one of the best things that you can do to help support Let's Talk Dubs. Another way to support, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You get a shout-out. This week's shout out goes to Donuts, CW956. Bill does a great job pulling historical info out of the old timers, but also young people who came after the 60s, 70s, and 80s revolution and follow up to modern age of restoration events and racing. The episode with Eric Myers pulls so much together, time fad styles, it's excellent. 
Sometimes I wonder where he, Bill, is going with this question, but he brings it back together so cleverly. Well, listen, man, sometimes they got something called idiot savant, and I guess that's what I am, right? Kind of an idiot, and I just get it all put together. But I love threading the needle on all the history. So also, I'm toasty. The ad critic says the door to a world I never something. I've always been curious about the why old VWs and their owners are so quirky and found not only a hobby, but a community I've been making my way through all the episodes trying to figure out how I'm going to build my own car. Also, he just started putting out YouTube videos that are great. Definitely catch those out as well. Thank you, Bill. Keep keep on doing what you do. You're a pillar of the community and are actively recording the history of our hobby. Well, I appreciate that, man. I'm toasty and uh, I look forward to that. Uh, I look forward to putting out more podcasts. We've got some Hot Rod guys coming up on this next one. Some Hot Rodders that started out as VW guys. So back into it, 74700 Captain says, Bill found the podcast six months ago and enjoyed the content. More importantly, I'm the second owner of a 71 Super Beetle convertible. That was my son's first car. Shortly, he was in a major fender bender, which prompted him to decide that it needed restoration, tore it apart, and then found a girl that he eventually married. That was in 2004, and Poco Dot has sat ever since. More, Most importantly, your podcast has inspired me to begin the journey to restore her. Also, within the last three months, I purchased a beautiful 74 Acapulco. You are so responsible for my enthusiasm, Robert, North Carolina. Man, I appreciate it, guys, because that's what that's what's bringing me so much joy, knowing that you guys are hyped to get the podcast, the content that kind of brings brings the history to life, as well as getting you guys motivated to get out there and turn some wrenches and get some projects done, man. I know I'm a little bit behind the curve because I keep picking up these stragglers here and there and all kinds of stuff, but I promise you guys there's more stuff coming out of the garage over here. I just need little brother George to help out on getting some stuff done. He's the he's the uh, whip cracker. So I appreciate you guys for leaving the five-star reviews. If you want a shout out, make sure you leave a five-star review. Also put your name at the end of the review. I appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, and I got more podcasts coming up. So uh, let's see if we got any shout outs for people that purchased some merch this week. I did get a message from Radamo Ramirez and he needs some clarification on Saturday's car show event. Says I just bought the $50 registration as per the page. Is that the cost of registration plus a poker run as seen below? To clarify for you guys, the cost of the event, the car show is 30 bucks. That's to enter the car show with an opportunity to win uh, some of the top 20 awards. And we're going to do one best of show custom trophy that's being brought by Andy the Paint all the way from the UK. But if you're doing both events, the car show is 30 bucks. The poker run is $50. For your $50 entry fee, you get a shirt, some stickers, and a poster. That's what you get for your 50 bucks. So you don't walk away empty handed. You still get something. I mean, heck, a t-shirt people are charging 30 bucks for nowadays. But your boy Bill T is practically giving away everything. And all the money I raised through the poker run goes right back to the people that entered the poker run. So it's just an opportunity for us to have fun, get in your Volkswagens, drive around, and do that. So the total cost of the show, it's 30 bucks for the show. It's 50 bucks for the poker run. You don't have to do both. You can do either or. I would suggest you do both and hang out at the hotel and casino and kick it all week and have a great time. Also have some merch there for sale if you wanted to buy some merch, but no pressure, baby. It's just there. It's just there for your liking. So that's some clarification from my dog over there, but I'm excited. and looking forward to it. It's going to be one crazy weekend coming up, guys. It's really loading up to be a killer of a show. So looking forward to some special surprises over there. And we're going to have a new uh, judging method over there so the cars will have qr codes in the windows that you can't send out to your buddies and get a bunch of fake votes you got to be there on the property geofenced around there but you'll be able to vote for the cars there we're going to be using uh the car show pro app and that's going to be 
helping everybody do some of the best, uh, some of the stuff where people can actually vote for the cars. And we're going to really encourage a lot of the participants, the people that are walking around the show to actually vote for them. So they can just click the QR code, people walking by and vote for your car. So that'll be one way that we're going to be doing it as, as well as a second panel that's going to pick the best of show vehicle. So looking forward to that. It's going to be a rager. Be ready because I'm ready and it's going to be off the chain. So I'm excited for that. More stuff to come, guys. And until next week, later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen.